Listener production. Hey, Tom Tilly with you. In this episode of The Briefing, The Willow Project. Why is Stop Willow trending on TikTok? Willow will bring the climate crisis to the point of no return. This is not environmental justice. Opponents have said it would dangerously accelerate emissions and the climate crisis. So the Willow Project is an oil drilling project in a pristine part of Alaska that was approved by the Biden administration on March 13. The American president, Joe Biden, has approved a major oil and gas drilling project in Alaska that faced strong opposition from environmental activists. Why is it causing so much outrage? And is there any chance it can be stopped? We were successful in stopping this project the last time around, and we believe we'll be successful in stopping the project this time around. That is our briefing. First, today's headlines with Antoinette Latouf. It's Wednesday, the 29th of March. US police have released body cam footage of officers entering a Nashville school and taking out the shooter that killed three nine-year-old children and three staff in their 60s yesterday. So in the footage, officers can be seen searching Covenant School before confronting the shooter on a first floor landing. They slumped to the ground after being shot multiple times. Officers then removed a large gun, which Audrey Hale had been holding. And what the footage also reveals is that the shooter was killed within 14 minutes of the police getting that call. Yeah, that's very quick. It's in um, big contrast to the shooting last year in Uvalde, Texas, where the police took an hour and 14 Mm. minutes. So that might be why police have released the body cam footage so quickly. It shows how how good they were at getting the shooter down and and potentially saving lives. Yeah, absolutely. At the Uvalde shooter, they copped a lot of criticism because a Senate hearing found out, well, experts said that based on the number of police, they should have been there within three minutes and would absolutely have saved more lives. And Tom, we're also learning more about the shooter. Yeah, so it's a 28-year-old named Audrey Hale who was a former student of this Christian school a trans man, so born female, but more recently using male pronouns. Mm. And they've reportedly left behind a big statement, which police have said is like a manifesto. And we don't know what's in it yet, but it will be very interesting to see if it's gender related or related to the Christian values of this school. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it is a a female who's since transitioned because what we know when it comes to these mass shooters, only around 5% of females, they're, you know, overwhelmingly um, committed by men. And Labor's Chris Minns has been sworn in as the new Premier of New South Wales, but the latest count shows that it will be a minority, not a majority government. I, Christopher John Minns, do swear that I will perform the functions and duties of Premier faithfully and to the best of my ability, so help me God. Yeah, so Labor has 45 of the 47 seats needed to form majority government. Um, There's six remaining seats that are still too close to call, so it actually could take days to know the answer to this. But on election night and the days afterwards, and we were part of this, the projections were showing that they mm. were going to get the 47 seats, but yeah. they turn out not to be correct. Yeah, a lot of us, you know, and that, that includes the ABC's Anthony Green, were pretty confidently saying it's going to be a majority government. What they didn't take into account was the scale of the postal votes and also the swing of the postal votes, which is now casting that in doubt. A former Australian Special Forces soldier has been granted bail because of fears he'd be attacked in jail. 
Oliver Schulz was arrested and charged last week with one count of a war crime after being accused of unlawfully killing a civilian during his deployment in Afghanistan in 2012. But a judge has ruled that the risk Schulz will be targeted by Taliban and Islamic extremists in prison is too high. Wow, that's quite interesting that he could end up in the same prison as Taliban and Islamic extremists. So the bail conditions include a $200,000 security deposit and daily reporting to police. And 39 asylum seekers have died in a fire at a Mexican migration centre near the US border. The deaths were mostly made up of Guatemalans wanting to enter the US near Texas. And the fire started actually with a protest that went wrong. Also in the US in news, Justin, a federal court judge has ruled that Mike Pence, the former vice president, will have to testify in a grand jury hearing about Donald Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election result. So this is according to two people familiar with the ruling who spoke on the condition of anonymity because it actually remains under seal. But CNN and other news outlets have also confirmed the ruling. Mm, It'll be really interesting to see what comes out of this. Um, Mike Pence and Donald Trump have been trying to stop this from happening. Yeah, and this would be a pretty extraordinary scenario, a former vice president potentially testifying against his former boss and also bearing in mind that Pence has been weighing up challenging Trump in the 2024 Republican presidential Mm. nomination. So, you know, awkward indeed. And a Victorian man has struck gold. He's found a gold nugget. Feels like a story from the 1800s. um, Worth $240,000. He said, oh, do you think there's $10,000 worth in it? And as soon as it hit my hand, I looked at him and I said, try $100,000. He said, oh, but that's only half the rock. He said, the other half's at home. (laughs) So that's Darren Camp um, from Lucky Strike Gold speaking to Channel 9 after the nugget was brought to him for valuation. So the man who didn't want to be named was using a metal detector in the state's golden area when he made the huge discovery. Um, This nugget weighs 4.6 kilograms. That includes 2.6 kilograms of gold. You know what, Tom? Anytime I see someone walking around with a metal detector and I I just think they look like a weirdo and that they're never going to have any luck. Like surely anything of value has been found. But um, yeah, who's the weirdo idiot now? (laughs) Not going to say anything about that. Um, We'll catch you later, Antoinette. In just a moment, The Willow Project. Can the Willow Project be stopped and should it be stopped? President Biden just tainted his climate legacy forever. President Biden ran on the promise that he would not approve any new drilling projects on public land. And then he goes and approves a project that millions of people disagree with. So 4.7 million people on change.org think it should be stopped. But the three Alaskan representatives in the US Congress told Biden to approve it. So it's a big oil project. It's expected to yield 600 million barrels of oil. Environmentalists are concerned about the huge amount of carbon that will release when the oil is burned. And they're also concerned about the impact on the local environment. Now, when it was first approved under Donald Trump, it was blocked by the courts. Now, a refined version of the project has been approved by Biden, but the environmental activists are taking it to the courts again. Ian Dooley's part of that fight. He's a lawyer at Earth Justice, the organisation spearheading that legal action. He's speaking to us from Anchorage in southern Alaska. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. What are you most worried about with the Willow Project? 
I think the biggest concern is, is, is the climate impacts of this project. You know, as approved, it, it could result in, well, it's estimated to result in 260 million metric tons of greenhouse gas emissions. I think that's the number one concern, but right there alongside it is that this project has been built by ConocoPhillips, the company that put forth this project as the next great hub for future infrastructure into the Western Arctic, which if you're not familiar, the Western Arctic is, is a 28 million acre area about the size of the state of Indiana and the United States that is essentially pristine and, and just as it has, it has always been um, uh, managed by the people that have lived there since time immemorial, uh, the Nupiat people up there. So it's a beautiful place that has experienced a limited amount of oil and gas infrastructure in the very eastern portion of it. But the Willow Project will be the furthest western intrusion into this area and will unlock infrastructure potential and investment potential for oil and gas industry uh, for decades to come, potentially. The impacts beyond this initial project, is is that what is creating a lot of concern for people and a, and a lot of the intense reaction to this approval? I hope that people are paying attention to the, to this project as a hub for future development and being concerned about what that means for the for our climate and the climate crisis. But I think what's garnered more attention is that this project, as approved by the Biden administration, is really inconsistent with the commitments that the Biden administration has made to fight climate change and, and to the promises that President Biden himself made on the campaign trail. I mean, he specifically said that there would be no more drilling on uh, public lands, federal public lands, period, 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 I think was his language. No more drilling on federal lands, no more drilling, including offshore, no ability for the oil industry to continue to drill. It's really disrupted the ethos and the belief that President Biden had sort of the, the political courage and conviction to make the right decision on such a pivotal project, even though mm. the Biden administration has taken some really great steps to try to start weaning our country off of fossil fuels. So you said your main concern was about the, the carbon impact on a changing climate, but what about local environmental impacts? What are you concerned about at that level? Well, the infrastructure of this project is, is massive. It's a project that includes, for example, like a one-mile airstrip. It includes hundreds of miles of ice roads, some 25 miles of gravel roads, blasting a, a large gravel mine to support that gravel road development, and all the pipelines and uh, personnel, camps, equipment, generators, everything that goes along with that, not to mention the aircraft traffic that will increase in this area that already is experiencing quite a bit of aircraft traffic from the larger development to the east uh, in a place that is fairly well known, I think, in the oil industry called Prudhoe Bay. And so local impacts, the reserve is, it provides habitat for three of the, the largest uh, caribou herds, I think in the world, but certainly in the United States, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of caribou that have been depended upon by local people for centuries for not only for food, for subsistence purposes, but as a critical part of their culture and their spiritual uh, well-being, not to mention the fact that uh, the Arctic region is experiencing climate change uh, more so than, than anywhere else on the planet with temperatures increasing four times the global rate of increase and, and with uh, summer sea ice, for example, to be completely gone predicted by 2050. So what about the local Indigenous people? Because I was really interested to see, even on the change.org petition against the approval of this project, which has been signed by 4.7 million people, even in that petition, it acknowledged that the majority of the local Indigenous people are in support of the project. So why is that? The only local um, government of sorts, not a government, but entity of sorts, 
in Nuiqsut that has supported the project is the local corporation, which it's a, a long story, but uh, local communities in Alaska, Alaska Native communities also have a private uh, profit-seeking corporation that represents individual villages. And of course, it's a profit-seeking entity and it, and it has different motivations for supporting the project and, and they have their reasons for supporting the project. And I don't pretend to take, or I'm not attempting to take issue with those, but to say that uh, it's not necessarily the truth that the majority of people, Alaska Native people are in support of the project. The motion that we submitted last week to argue that this project is both unlawful and to demonstrate that it will have irreparable harm to people included someone from the area, uh, Rosemary Tungaruk, who is the mayor of the city of Nuiqsut, subsistence rights, whose ability to hunt and enjoy this area will be irreparably harmed uh, by this activity if it moves mm. forward this winter. You're trading off a big global problem here with potential economic benefits to the local community, which I imagine is why some people do support it, despite concerns about the environment. Is that a difficult argument to make to economically handicap a small community to try and deal with a huge problem, which is the level of carbon emissions that we're all contributing to around the world? Again, I don't want to speak for the folks up there and their motivations for why they support it, but the, the bottom line is that the majority of these jobs won't go to Alaska people, let alone people in the communities up there. And, and the, the record of decision, the Bureau of Land, the U.S. Bureau of Land Management's decision approving this project states as much. The, the government admits this. The majority of jobs won't go to local people. And then as far as revenue from the project, there won't be any revenues uh, from this project realized for at least five or six years. And the, the benefits to the local area are, are even more circumscribed. The, the revenues go to taxes and to support other entities through um, bureaucratic processes that we all benefit from here in the state, um, but they're not specifically targeted to support the community necessarily. Yeah, I, I take your point that how much economic benefit flows back to the local community is, is a massive question mark, but you can safely assume there is some economic benefit. and. I wonder how you trade that off against, say, you know, the reality that if you if you were able to block this project and stop this oil from being drilled, that, you know, potentially Saudi Arabia just fills the gap in the market. And so we don't actually solve the overall problem of the amount of oil being drilled and consumed and turned into carbon. But the people who were set to reap this local economic benefit will no longer do that. So how do you how do you reconcile that when we've got a a global market for oil, still a huge appetite for oil from the global economy and other countries willing to step in and fill the void. The science that we've seen has actually debunked this idea that keeping oil in the ground in Alaska will result in oil being developed somewhere else. The, the science shows that keeping oil in the ground will actually keep more oil in the ground, in fact, and, and that the market won't compensate for that by simply substituting that in another area. And that's part of the way that we we're able to win our legal argument the last time around, and the government has now agreed with us that this type of substitution framing is misleading to the public. You know, for example, this project the, won't, won't begin producing oil uh, that can be used for another five years. And, and in that time frame, as you saw in the IPCC report just the other day, mm. uh, that might be too late for, for adjusting to try to keep ourselves within the 1.5 degree uh, warming target that was set in the Paris Accords and that the United States has signed on. Okay, so where to from here, Ian? You know, this this campaign's got incredible traction on TikTok. We've got an online petition of, of 4.7 million votes, as we've touched on. But is there any realistic hope that the decision by the Biden administration will be overturned? 
Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we brought a, a, a case and we bring that case based on arguments that the Biden administration, that the Bureau of Land Management has acted unlawfully. And we have put together, it's, it's a hard argument to make. Anytime that we bring a case, um, our courts in this country defer to the federal government and the decisions it makes, but we were successful in stopping this project the last time around, and we believe we'll be successful in stopping the project this time around. So have you commenced legal action already? That's right. Yes. We, we filed a complaint the day after the decision was made, and then we filed a, a motion, what we call a motion for a preliminary injunction um, just last week. So we expect a decision on that by April 3rd. Right now, we're in the process of, of the paperwork between us and our adversaries. And so what's the other project you mentioned where there's you fought and won in, a, in the same way before? Well, it's this very project. Uh, under the Trump administration, this project was uh, initially put forward and approved by the Trump administration. And for similar reasons, for failing to look at the full climate impacts of this project and for failing to consider BLM's authority and obligation to protect this area, we were successful in a lawsuit, uh, very similarly, through a preliminary injunction, pausing the project, and then through a broader litigation strategy, convincing the court to find that the project was unlawful, which vacated the prior decision. And now this is the second time around that ConocoPhillips has proposed this project, BLM has approved the project, and we're taking them to court. So do you think it'll play out the same way this time, or has the project changed so that your legal argument may not have the same clout that it had in that previous case? Yeah, there are some things that have changed. The Biden administration, through its Bureau of Land Management, has done an admittedly better job of looking at the climate impacts of this project. But as we highlighted in our preliminary injunction motion, there is a, they failed to look at this hub idea that I explained uh, previously, that, that this project is really just setting, uh, putting a, a further foothold into this beautiful area, this important critical landscape in the Arctic uh, for further oil and gas development, expansion, further climate impacts, and that the agency failed to look at that. So they did a better job on their climate analysis. They didn't do enough. Okay, so you're heading into a legal argument. Does the number of TikTok videos or the number of people signing an online petition, does that have any impact on what's going to happen going forward? It's important to keep the pressure on the administration, keep the pressure on the decision makers, to keep the pressure on the system, to let people know that this project's important to a lot of people, including these folks, especially the young people who are going to be voting, right? And especially the people that are going to be the decision makers in the future. Because if we are successful in court, and if that message is heard to the administration, then, you know, maybe in the future, the administration will think differently about approving this project or at least approving it in the format or similar format to what it's approved here. That was Ian Dooley from Earth Justice speaking to us from Alaska. And Earth Justice is the organization spearheading that legal bid to get an injunction on this project next month. When there's an update, we'll bring it to you in the briefing headlines. Listener.